0: Well, as you may know, we are in week three this morning of a series that we're calling Making Him Known, Speaking of Jesus. And our aim throughout this series is really to learn from a man named Mark. Mark was an early follower of Jesus. He's the man who wrote the New Testament book of Mark. Um, We want to learn from Mark what it means uh, to believe and what it means to share the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago in week one, we just sought greater clarity around, well, what, what is that? When we talk about the good news of Jesus, what is that? Um, and we also sought uh, just what should be our motivation to share it. Um, and then last week, Pastor Ryan helped us just better understand Jesus' identity, who is this man who shows up on the scene in the gospel accounts like Mark's, And so he unpacked that for us last week from Mark chapter one. If you missed any of that, it's available on our website, go back and listen to it. It will serve you. I I trust this week. What we want to do is flip forward in Mark to chapter four, where Mark begins to really hone in on the importance of God's word of the Bible in the Christian life. Now, uh, some of us may be more familiar with uh, the Bible and kind of how it's put together, what it is, than others. So let me just kind of give a really brief overview, and then we'll, we'll turn our attention to reading it. Um, in our culture, the, the Bible is normally published as, as a book. Um, most of you probably have one or more of these. Um, if you have it on your phone, the little icon might be like a book. Uh, but the Bible actually isn't a book, it's, it's a collection. It's actually closer to like a library, right? Because it contains 66 individual works uh, that we sometimes call books. So we might reference the book of Mark. That is one such um, work in this collection of 66 Books And these 66 books, they weren't written all at the same time. They were written over a span of about 2,000 years by about 40 different authors across three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, and in three different languages, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. And so you'll notice that English, uh, not one word of the Bible was originally written in English, right? Uh, The impact of the Bible throughout history is simply unprecedented. Um, The Guinness Book of World Records in 1995 estimated that about 6 billion copies of the Bible had been sold throughout history. Um, And that's about six times uh, the amount of the runner-up, the next runner-up. And so there have been more copies of of this book, this library, printed and sold than any other book by a long shot. It's also the most translated book. Um, There are uh, 683 Complete translations of the Bible, and there are partial translations in uh, 3,300 languages. And so just to kind of kind put that at scale, say there are maybe forty of us here this morning. If we wrote each of those languages that have part of the Bible translated on index cards, each of you would hold a hundred index cards of different languages. And none of your index cards would match anybody else's index cards in the entire room. That's how how widely translated the Bible is. And so maybe that leads us to ask, well, what is it about this book? What is it about this collection that has led to this kind of popularity? What, what makes it so unique? And what relevance does it have for us today? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to try to answer, because Mark gives us the words of Jesus to fill out those kinds of questions, to help us frame what is the importance of God's word, of the Bible. And so our main text today will be from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, so John's going to come and read that for us. And in this story, we're going to hear a parable that really starts to unpack Jesus' principle about what the Bible is and why it's important for us. Uh, then next we're going to hear three texts that describe the impact or the fruit of God's word in the lives of real people. And so, uh, Sarah Harmon's going to come and read Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20. Uh, Nick will come and read, uh, Psalm 1. And then Brian will, uh, round us out with John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. And so let's, uh, as those readers come, let's listen and pay attention to what God is has spoken to us. So John, do you want to come? All
1: right, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that... But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold.
2: This is Mark chapter five verses one to twenty. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there they met him out. Of, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what see it that was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish.
1: John eight thirty one. <clears throat> so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.
0: All right, well, if you have a Bible with you, please open them to Mark chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time there. And we're going to hear Jesus make some pretty big claims about what the Bible is, what the the Word of God is, and I I really want you to see in the text that it's him making those claims and not just me. Um, claims that I make that uh, the Bible doesn't make aren't worth very much. But if the Bible makes these claims, Jesus is making these claims, uh, then we we want to pay attention, don't we? Uh, so let's, let's just begin reading again, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says again, he, meaning Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, and I'll just stop there. Okay, we're, we're going to get to the teaching in a moment, but, but stop there. Jesus is teaching a large crowd. Uh, it's so large that in order to be heard, in order to be seen, he's on a boat out in the sea, the crowd is on the shore. But what I want to draw our attention to is how he is teaching them. What is Jesus' method? Does he have a PowerPoint? Does he have a whiteboard? How is he teaching them? Well, his his method comes in verse 2. It says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, we may or may not be familiar with parables. A a parable is a kind of symbolic story. It's it's maybe a little bit like a fable. Um, It's a made-up story uh, that is fiction, but it's it's made up to make a specific point. And parables were one of Jesus' favorite methods of teaching. Almost a third of the teaching that we have from the lips of Jesus in the Bible comes to us in the form of parable, these symbolic stories. In the book of Mark, we'll find, uh, if you read the entire book of Mark, you would find eight parables, um, eight different parables that Jesus uses to teach that Mark records, and this section contains one. And so that's what we're about to read now. We're about to read the, the parable that he was teaching this crowd as he's on the boat, they're on the shore. So let's pick up where we left off, look down at verse 3. Here's, here's the parable. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. Immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the parable. That's what Jesus taught. It's often referred to as the parable of the sower. It's a story that talks about a farmer scattering seed and what happens as that seed falls on four different kinds of soil. Jesus finishes the story and the lesson is over and people pack up to go home. But Jesus' closest friends are confused, and and maybe that's a comfort for us if Jesus ever confuses us. Sometimes this man says things that are to us confusing. And so what his friends do is they they ask Jesus about the parables, and Jesus, being kind and patient, explains. Now, he begins his explanation down in verse 14. I'm not going to read it. I just want to summarize it by introducing a central figure. This is the central figure in the parable. This is why the parable is called the parable of the sower. Because he says a sower, the sower, sows the word. Now that's really short. That's, that's not the bulk of his explanation, but it is the grounds of it because none of the rest of the parable makes sense unless we get that key fact, right? The sower sows the word. And so the farmer in the parable is not scattering seed, according to Jesus. He's actually scattering words. And the sower is a speaker. He is a teacher. Now, in the words that we just read, the, Mark's account that we just read, who has been speaking and teaching? It's Jesus, right? And so as we start to unpack this parable, Jesus is setting himself up As the sower, because down in verse 2 it says, And he was teaching the crowds many things. And so Jesus is uh, this farmer, and the seeds that Jesus is scattering is the words, it's his teaching, it's what he's speaking to the crowds. Now as we look over the bulk of the rest of Jesus' explanation, uh, it comes to us as he talks about these four different kinds of soils, and, and what he describes is, is not really soils, that these soils are, are pointing to four different kinds of hearers, the, the people who hear his teaching. And so let me just go over them. The first soil that we encounter are, is the soil near the path, or these are people, Jesus says, who due to satanic activity want nothing to do with Jesus' teaching. They just outright reject it. Now, for us to understand this, we have to realize that Satan doesn't always act in plain sight, right? He is a deceiver. He's sneaky. And so when we hear about uh, these people who who Satan comes and takes away the seed before it it bears root, we're not necessarily thinking of demon possession. We're probably just to think more of people who are hardened by sin to the point that they want nothing to do with God. They don't see a need for God. They don't want anything to do with him. And that's a very common condition, is it not? This is not something spectacular. This is very common. The soil near the path. And then there's the second soil, the rocky ground, where Jesus says these are the people who accept what he says at first, until they experience some sort of tribulation or persecution, some form of trial or suffering that leads these people to turn their back on Jesus and what they've heard. That's in verses 16 and 17. And then the third group is the thorny ground, or these are people who, again, first seem amiable to the word, but then decide that they're really more interested in worldly gain or money or Jesus just says other things. That's in verses 18 and 19. And then finally, the last category of soil, which Jesus calls as the good soil. And these are people who accept his teaching and bear fruit. And we'll we'll get more on that in just a little bit. So let me just kind of hit pause on the good soil. But but we we can understand what, what he's explaining, right? Four groups of people represented by four soils, and they're different based on how they hear and what they do with the teachings of Jesus. That's pretty straightforward, is it not? Now, in in one sense, those soils, the the hearers, are the bulk of Jesus' explanation. But in another sense, what we've covered so far is really only the backdrop for the main point that Jesus is trying to get across to these disciples. There's something bigger at stake here than the claim that there are only four types of people who respond in four different ways to the teaching of Jesus. So far, we've, we've read the parable itself in verses 1 through 9, and then I summarized the explanation of the parable in verses 14 to 20, but we passed over some verses in the middle. And so I want to look at them together now because they actually reveal what I think is Jesus' main point, what he's really trying to drive at and what we're really supposed to come away with out of this parable and its explanation. So look down, read with me, chapter 4 of Mark, verses 10 through 13. It says, And when he was alone... So he's... he's He's taught the parable in public, and now privately, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that... And now he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, which was a prophecy, an Old Testament prophecy about the hardness of heart of God's people. He quotes that verse. He says, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they shall turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, so, so we notice a few things kind of right off the bat and, from those verses, right? First, Jesus is purposefully using parables so that some people understand him and others do not. And I think to to us to modern westerners this just makes absolutely no sense because it's a horrible marketing strategy. You know, we are a land and a people who always want the biggest crowd, so we cast the widest net, we want everybody included. No company or organization would adopt Jesus's strategy here. His strategy is particularly to um, attract some people and and not others. So he's he's not attracting the largest crowd possible. He's after a specific group of people. That's the first thing we, we see there. The second one is that the parable of the sower is the key to all of Jesus' parables. And so we said roughly a third of his teaching comes in parables, and here we see that the parable of the sower is the key to all of them. If you follow the the plural and the singular uh, through this passage, that becomes really clear, doesn't it? Because in verse 10, the disciples ask about the parables, plural. They're not asking about the sower. They're saying, Jesus, we're hearing you speak in all these parables, and we just don't understand them. We want to understand them. And Jesus intentionally explains this parable. And he says in verse 13 that if you understand this parable, you will understand all the parables. So if we understand the parable of the, of the sower, that parable unlocks for us all of Jesus' teaching, all of his other parables. This is the second thing we see. Thirdly, the explanation of this parable is what Jesus calls the secret of the kingdom of God. And this is what I meant when I said that Jesus has a bigger point in this parable than just explaining four different soils as four different groups of people. Do you remember uh, way back in week one, um, and Ryan, I think you touched on this last week, when Jesus first shows up on the scene, what did Mark summarize his message as being? This is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says that Jesus came saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is why Jesus has no need for marketing strategies, for a large net and the biggest crowd, because he's not selling a product, is he? He's building a kingdom. And Jesus says here in our passage that if we understand the parable of the sower, we will understand the secret of that kingdom that he's building. And so do you, do you see that plainly in the text? This is the kind of stuff that I don't just want you to take my word for. I want you to see it in the text that this is Jesus' main point. Do you see that? Jesus is connecting this parable with his entire kingdom. It. This parable teaches us what it means to follow Jesus as our king. And so therefore, this parable is crucial, just absolutely crucial for us to understand if we want to follow Jesus. And it's also crucial for us to understand if we want to help others follow Jesus. We cannot afford to miss the secret of the kingdom. And so what is it? What is that secret, right? Nate, tell us. What's the secret? What is it about this parable that unlocks all the other parables? Why is this one so central to following King Jesus? Well, here's the secret. The secret of Jesus' kingdom based on this parable is the seed. It's the seed. So so think back to all the different symbols that are in this parable. Which one is at the center of the story? What, What is the one symbol that the whole story kind of hangs on? It's the seed. What is the sower scattering? Seed. What is Satan snatching away? Seed. What is the heart, the heat of affliction scorching? the seed. What are the cares of the world, those, those thorny cares choking out the seed? And then what is resulting in that great harvest of fruit in the good soil? Well, it's it's the seed. In this parable, all eyes are on the seed. Now that might lead us to ask, okay, well, what's so special about this seed? I mean, doesn't it sound like any other seed? You You plant it, and it grows. What's the big deal? Well, we might miss the big deal, but guaranteed every one of Jesus's listeners would have seen it plain as day. This seed is no ordinary seed. And we'll see that at the end of verse eight. So look again, chapter four, verse eight with me. It says, and the other seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up. And now here it is increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold And a hundredfold. Now, unless you're a first century Palestinian farmer, maybe those numbers don't mean a whole lot to you. But every first century Palestinian knew that the average harvest gave maybe a seven and a half fold yield. If you had a really good year, you might get up to a tenfold yield on your harvest. What Jesus is claiming is something radically beyond that. He's saying, if you take your best harvest that you've ever experienced, farming community, and you compare my seed, the kind of seed I'm talking about, we're talking about an output that's like three to ten times that. Three to ten times the greatest harvest you've ever yielded. That's what I'm talking about. That's normative for what I'm talking about. Can you imagine... Um, showing up after church this morning, pulling into uh, the the parking lot at get-go or a BP and seeing an advertisement, hey, if you fill up your car at our gas station, you can drive from here to LA and not have to refuel. I mean, that's that's kind of the gravity. That's the impact that Jesus is talking about here. Everybody would be lined up at that gas station, wouldn't they? <laughs> Rising prices or not. And so... What Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, a a good kingdom on earth, sure, it might benefit you even tenfold. But my kingdom, here's the secret to my kingdom, it benefits its people 30, 60, or 100-fold. And so according to Jesus, what what he's saying is the kingdom of God, the the thing that he's, he's sharing the secret about, this kingdom of God is simply off the charts. And the citizens of this kingdom are more full of life and more fulfilled in life than anyone anywhere. I mean, that's a huge claim. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now let's go one step further. According to this parable, what is responsible for producing this miraculous harvest in the lives of Jesus' followers? I mean, are, are these people just people that try really hard? Like, are they really uh, A-type personalities, hard workers? They just get down to it. And that's the reason why all of this great harvest happens. Or are they great planners and great thinkers and creative people? Or are they just like really good people? They're morally good. They, they don't get into trouble. No. None of those things are the reason why this great harvest exists in God's kingdom. Because we need to remember, what, if, what was that main symbol from the parable? What are all the eyes on in this story? All the eyes are on the seed, and the seed, according to verse 14, is the word. And so he, here's what Jesus is claiming. Let's, let's kind of put all that together. Jesus is claiming that when his followers listen to and fill themselves with and live aligned with his teaching— they will experience life like never before. The secret to the kingdom of God is the word of God. And when we listen to God's word, when we trust in God's promises that we find in his word, when we obey God's commands in his word, we discover this secret. The, the benefit it brings us, can it's abundant life, is it not? I mean, Jesus said in in John 10.10, I came that they, his people, may have life and have it abundantly. Well, how did he come? He came as a rabbi, as a teacher, someone who spoke words. And and the implication is the words that he spoke are the key to his people having that abundant life. This, I think, friends, is why the Bible is the best-selling and most translated book in history. Because enough people have experienced that kind of power. Enough people have, have experienced that abundant life that Jesus is talking about. They have experienced the life that springs up from the supercharged seed, from God's Word. Have you had that kind of experience with the Bible? Do you regularly have that kind of experience when you, when you open up this book? Whether it's you alone in your room or whether it's with a group of other people. You see, during the life of Jesus, countless people encountered his words, his teaching, and their lives were changed forever. We, we read about one such man, just one guy from Mark chapter 5. Jesus spoke to him, and this man was forever changed. He used to dwell among the tombs as this troubled individual. And yet he hears Jesus, and and where is he by the end? He was sitting there with Jesus. That was chapter 5, verse 15. Sitting there. And usually when we find people seated with Jesus, it's because he's teaching. So this man was so enthralled with Jesus and his words that he begged Jesus in verse 18 to go with him. Now, I, I noticed, um, actually, as we read through it this time, begged happens numerous times through the, that story of that man. Did you notice that? The, the demons that are, are possessing man beg Jesus to um, send them into the pigs, um, the, the people of the town come and beg him to leave their area because they're terrified of what they've seen, that, that he has mastery over this man that none of them could tame, that was uh, loose and wild above any control that they had. And here is Jesus who, who puts this man in his right mind. And so the townspeople are terrified. They're begging him to leave. And yet what's this man do? He begs Jesus, just let me go with you. Why is that? It's because he's experienced what Jesus described in the good soil. The the seed of Jesus' words took root in this man's heart and and fruit began shooting up. And it was clear to all. And he's saying, I am not leaving you. I am not leaving you. Don't send me away from you. In Psalm 1, we, we read about uh, the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And did you, did you hear what that's like, what that should be like? It should be like being a tree just planted by streams. You never run out of water. You have everything you need. You're shooting out fruit in your season. And he, the writer of the Psalm comments, in all that he does, this, this man or this tree, He prospers. I love the words of, of Jeremiah. We didn't read this section of scripture, but in Jeremiah 15, um, it describes Jeremiah's relationship to God's word. And he says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord. Brothers and sisters, can you can you identify with any of those experiences? The, the man in Mark 5 The the man from Psalm 1, Jeremiah, has God's word become the joy and delight of your heart? This is what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. This is the secret to the kingdom. The word of God empowers all of this joy, this plentiful harvest in the people of God. Citizens of God's kingdom prosper by the power of God's word. Now, if that's not your experience this morning, you don't have to stay outside the kingdom of God any longer. We already read Mark 1, 15, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. God gives us this supercharged seed, the kind of thing that if it was offered as gasoline, people would line up for. He offers it freely because he is a good God and loves you. The the only entrance fee, so to speak, is to come to him with repentance and faith. So repent, meaning turning away, loving other things more than God, and believing or trusting that Jesus is indeed able and willing to bring us into this kingdom through his death and resurrection. Again, he died and rose so that abundant life could be freely offered to all. And so if you find yourself on the outside of this experience, you need not delay. You can come in. The doors are open. And if you have experienced the life-giving power of God's word, then do you see its implications for life and particularly for sharing this abundant life with others? So this is kind of my last point. This is where we'll wrap up. I just want to talk about, okay, what are the implications if we, if we understand this parable and if we ourselves have tasted the secret of the kingdom of God, the word is working like this, it's bearing a harvest in us, well, what are the implications then for sharing Jesus with others? The first implication that we see out of this parable is that the parable itself is cyclical in nature. It's going around in a circle. It doesn't have a beginning and an end point. And, and what I mean by that is that the people who are the good soil become sowers themselves, and the whole thing repeats. Now, Jesus doesn't explicitly state that in the parable itself, but it happens all the time in the New Testament. It happened again in, in the, the story of the man in Mark 5. So if you're, if you're still in Mark 4 and just like turn the page, or, or maybe it's even on the same page, and look over at Mark chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, If anybody's an example of good soil, it's this guy. Uh, Again, his life was a nightmare. Jesus speaks to him. He believes what Jesus has spoken. Bam, he's changed forever. So we see the supercharged seed at work. But did you notice how the story ends? So the man begs for Jesus to go with him. And then look in verse 19. Jesus said to the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Now, in verses 19 and 20, who's the sower? Is Jesus the sower? Mm -mm. No, this man is. The man who was the good soil just became a sower. And so, and so that means that if you have experienced and if you continue to experience the power of God's word in your life, you are now enlisted as a sower. You and I are sowers. This is what Jesus means in the Great Commission when he tells his disciples to go and make disciples. There's just no biblical category for a disciple who does not make disciples. There's no biblical category for good soil that does not become a sower. Disciples make disciples. Good soil becomes the next sower. That's, that's the first implication that we see to sharing Jesus with others. Here's another. The sower scatters liberally. You could even say sloppily. I mean, this guy, I, I can't imagine. I've never been a farmer. Uh, no one in my family, as far as I know, was was into the farming trade. But I cannot imagine that a farmer takes its pre- his precious resource of seed and just scatters it on the path and among thorns and and everywhere it could not grow. And yet that's exactly what this farmer is doing. Is he not? And so what we see is not uh, someone who um, says, "Well." Oh man, my neighbor Joe. My neighbor Joe is just ready to hear about Jesus. And so I'm going to take one little seed. That's not the parable. This guy is taking fistfuls and throwing seed wherever he can. And so we are to scatter, if we are to be sowers after the man in this parable, we are to scatter the news about Jesus everywhere. In fact, you probably will not know the type of soil that you are scattering seed on because the only way you find out what type of soil someone is is by how they either do or do not respond to the word of Christ. Do you see that? So the parable cyclical. The sower scatters liberally. Thirdly, the good soil is the soil where fruit endures. Where fruit endures. Notice that of the four soils, three of them initially accept the word, while only the good soil experiences the power of the supercharged seed. This means that a decision for Jesus is not nearly as important as a life lived for Jesus. And so if these soils were three individual people, three would have made decisions for Jesus while only one lived a life for Jesus. And I think what this means for us is that as we share Jesus, we can be very honest about the cost of following Jesus because we're not trying to trick people in the front door. We're not giving them a marketing message. We're helping build the kingdom. I remember um, one pastor hearing him talk about how he was... um, Just sharing the gospel with this young man. And it was years. And eventually this man came to him and said, I think I'm ready to become a Christian. I think I'm ready to trust in Jesus. And, you know, my natural impulse would be, Oh, that's great. You know, let me find you a small group. You know, here's a Bible study you can do. When can we meet to, you know, talk more? And what this pastor wisely, I think, did was say, That's great. I'm really excited about that. But you have to realize that what you are about to do will cost you everything. Your life will change completely. And are you sure you want to sign up for that? Isn't that a strange response? But what he was doing was he was preparing this man to live a life faithful to Jesus. Because if the man says yes there, which he did, you, you know, we don't need to fear the thorns. We don't need to fear, um, worldly goods or riches coming in because he's prepared. He's thought about it, right? And that's exactly what happened with this particular man. I mean, he, he has lived for Jesus for decades. He's become an elder in that church. He's gone on to other ministry. We can be upfront with people. We don't have to be shy about the cost of following Jesus. Uh, in Colossians chapter one, I remember reading this maybe a year or two ago and it just really striking me. Paul is talking to uh, these believers and he tells them that Jesus has reconciled them quote, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast. Do you hear that? That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is building. Come in and persevere. A lifetime lived for Jesus, bearing fruit, continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast. That's the good soil. Good soil is where fruit endures. Lastly, the grounds of our evangelism should be the word of God. This has probably been the biggest implication of this parable for me personally. Uh, I, I know that evangelism strategy comes in all shapes and sizes, and evangelistic opportunity comes in all shapes and sizes. You might have 30 seconds with somebody, and, and you sense an opportunity to, to share something about the goodness and love of Jesus. But what I get really excited about is if someone's willing to sit in my living room for seven weeks and read the Gospel of Mark with me. You might remember we, we did that as a, as a community Bible study a few summers ago. That's a great way to share the gospel. Ask, ask people if they're willing to read, particularly one of the gospels about Jesus. Because you know what's, what's so helpful about that? Is you can let the gospel writers do the talking. You're, you're reading the word of God, and, and these men have already thought about who Jesus was and how he should be presented. And yes, you'll have to teach along the way. You'll have to help people understand. But the burden is not on you. Right, the, the, In the parable of the sower, the sower's role was to scatter seed. The role of the sower was not to produce growth. That's what the seed did. And so by putting the word of God before people, we are planting that supercharged seed and kind of watching to see what happens. I think that's the evangelistic strategy we're supposed to come away with from the parable of the sower. And so if, if you are... Um, ever in a, in a situation where someone might uh, read the word with you, make that offer. Sharing the gospel doesn't have to be something overly complicated. It doesn't have to be something that you uh, dream up. Who around you would, would know the benefit or, or needs the benefit of some of Jesus' supercharged seeds? And what would it take to have the courage to ask them if they wanted to read the Bible with you? You might be surprised by their answer. They might turn you down. That's certainly possible. Or like two of the soils, they might seem interested, but then not stick with it. Or just maybe they become that fourth soil where something happens, it clicks, and this abundant fruit starts shooting up. So that's the parable of the sower. That's, that's the secret of the kingdom. That's what Jesus wants us to understand about the role of God's word in our life and in sharing the gospel. So as we turn now to respond in prayer, I just encourage you to pray about any of those things. If you want to experience more of the abundant life that Jesus is talking about through his word, ask him. He loves to answer those prayers. If you have lost people on your mind, pray for them. Because it's it's such a privilege to pray together, and God loves answering the requests of His people. So let's let's go to Him now in prayer. I'll start, and then you're you're welcome to join in. Lord, we thank you that you were not stingy with seed; that you are the um, generous farmer who came and spoke. And this morning you have explained the very secret of your kingdom. That is the word of God. That is um, just to be the engine of life in your people. And the life that it generates is so far beyond what we will see anywhere else. Lord, I do pray that we would be people individually who experience that kind of power and that kind of life. That we would not be um, seven and a half fold people or even tenfold people but that the abundance of life that we get from your word would just be springing up out of us everywhere. So Lord, as we we pray now toward that end and, and on behalf of the world around us, God, would you hear our prayers?